So, today's guest has been at least qualified to my knowledge as a modern connoisseur of the art of poetry, it seems on IG. She has her own anthology of memories and emotional scriptures, I'm sure, binded by the phrase of ink and paper. And it seems like from cover to cover, it appears to be heavily imbued in her own personal experiences. And she's got a book that illustrates what I'm finding in my own self within my own monologues, and that's a form of catharsis. Her book, The Moon at My Window. The title holds, will be all string along during such moments in the night. So let me introduce you, the author, poet, actor, and dancer, Asha Ponichan. Did I get it correctly? Yes, you did. Really? Thank you. Hi. Yeah, I was going to say Ponichan, but I didn't see two O's, so I'm thinking Pon. So yeah. typically, yeah, I'm trying to be respectful for that. Yeah. So when it comes to poetry, perhaps first, let's delve into your background and perhaps the catalyst behind your passion for the love of poetry. I mean, did it start from your childhood or did sequentially, did it become more of like an affinity throughout high school up to your adulthood, like most of us acquire such uh, the hobby? I would say it was from childhood. I always liked uh, expressing myself and to hear others expressing themselves in, uh, in well, prose as well as poetic um, expressions or poetic mm. words. Um, I, I like rhythm and I found it easier to remember things if, if there was some sort of musical element to it if there was mm. some rhythm to it if there was some meter to it and all of those things just happened to fall within the parameters of poetry <clears throat> i also found that the language used in a poetic expression is mm -hmm. far more elaborate and emotionally succinct where as opposed to people just conversing in regular language no i mean poetry definitely you know is quite an amount of output for all of us um, I think that when it comes to at least the distinctive nature of it, I suppose it started back, you know, a uh, long time ago. I, I suppose you can record back all the way, to, I think, to the 19th century. Obviously, you know, when it comes to like William Shakespeare and other poets in due time, um, I suppose, opposed to just chatting about emotions amongst one another, uh, I guess it is a good way to illustrate a great deal of one's, you know, thought process between love and other forms of very complicated uh, experiences, you know, whether it's trauma, death. Um, so it's great to at least kind of know that there's people that still, at least from that time up to this date, embrace the aspect of what poetry means to others. I mean, obviously when it comes to like music and things like that, that's a good question. Now music, um, however magical it may be, given that if it's all about rhyming and storytelling, do you think there's a distinction between perhaps storytelling and being more, I suppose, uh, superfluous when it comes to emotions or do you think poetry encompasses more than just emotions itself whether it's for music or theater oh uh poetry does encompass far more than emotion it, mm -hmm. just like any any uh literary genre or any mm -hmm. genre of storytelling for that uh, for that matter, even if you're if you're doing a dance, it, it's essentially telling a story. It mm. could be a, a contemporary story, it could be a traditional story. Um, if you are acting, uh, it can be a, a mockumentary, a documentary, mm -hmm. or a fiction, but you're telling a story. Any which way you look at it, even in this conversation that we're having right now, we are telling a story. We're mm -hmm. telling a story about why we are here, what poetry is, and what it means to each of us, and what it potentially could mean to others. Indeed. It reminds me of, because uh, neuroscience is definitely my wheelhouse, and I always try to vaguely relate a great deal of, uh, 
I suppose, meticulous efforts of any aspect of poetry or any other uh, knowledgeable aspect of life to neuroscience. And I think about when people say, well, don't judge. And you think about when you're taking a step, you know, from the moment you take a step, depending on your muscle fibers and how, you know, you extend uh, your legs, you're judging on how to step, how to press, you know, what particular platform you're pressing on, whether it's cement, wood, carpet, you know, and then you've got nerve signals that send impulses through your legs, to assess how much pressure to apply, uh, given, you know, how much you weigh in, in overall uh, health. So, when you think about poetry, it's not just about discussing love or even necessarily storytelling, you know, because when it comes to words like love, it's subjective. And obviously, you know, we could talk about love as well as like the love for family, the love for friends, uh, or even in relationships. And it becomes a bit of a weighty topic um, that I think people assume that stereotypically that's what poetry is all about. <laughs> love mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. And though even when it comes to other... I suppose, uh, irregular aspects of maybe the human experience based off a lot of your captions, it seems like a great deal of your lines are held through different types of analogies. Uh, you've got, you know, like parts of whole when it discusses more of a structural, uh, structuralistic aspect of something, you know, uncovering from, let's say you're discussing a child, uh, reaching for a particular bottle and then the mother, mother's emotion comes from that. And then you've got cause and effect. Uh, which would be the ending of that. And it seems like there's different parts of poetry. And you kind of remind me a great deal of what I would normally type, which is heavily cryptic <laughs> slash uh, moralistically inclined uh, captions. So like when it comes to pieces that you have, um, would you say that you like to overall explain a particular message? Um, or let me get to a piece I think I really like. Mm-hmm. Saying that there are no wolves among sheep. They watch the shepherd lead the flock into the tune of a uh, lunatic howl. And it seems like there's a dichotomy between dualism and non-dualism, in my perspective. Obviously, Mm -hmm. when we're chatting about, you know, wolves among sheep, and yet, you know, they attract to a lunatic howl, it seems like perhaps are there wolves amongst our sheep, or are we we descriptively describing wolves, not necessarily, maybe in the same imagery as we assume sheep would appeal to be based off that caption uh, in your stanza? How would you associate that? Yeah, so mm-hmm. I the way I try to write is mm-hmm. that I, I explain a situation, a life situation, a world situation, or something that is happening uh, <clears throat> that is relatable for and to human beings. Mm-hmm. in a layered form. So there are multiple layers, like you yourself have discovered in this in this one uh, quote that you've read. Um, and I would like for the reader to read it once and understand something and then go back to it and read it again and understand something else and then keep coming, coming back to it because that is how we are as mm-hmm. human beings. We're not black and white. We're not, we're not particular... Uh, we're not restricted to particular emotions. We're not restricted to particular thinking all the time. Mm-hmm. We we sway. We sway from one mood to another. We sway from one decision to another. We sway from one intention to another. And it is interesting to me how readers perceive uh, a meaning and it, at one point of time and a different meaning at another point of time. It can even be during the same day, but depending on what they have gone through that day, depending on the news they have read, depending on what their um, aspirations are, depending on what side of 
politics they stand on or whatever, uh, whatever their other moral views, <clears throat> religious views, any other views that they hold. It is interesting to me how people will peel these layers of and think or understand different uh, meanings. Now they can be related meanings, but mm -hmm. yet it, it it is it is intentionally kept layered. It is also intentionally kept uh, in a non-preachy sort of uh, way that I am not telling the reader what to understand. I, it's not my job to tell the reader what to understand or the audience what to understand. It is my job simply to present something in a presentable way. And it is it is up to the intelligence of the the reader who I I know as an intelligent reader mm -hmm. uh, to to understand what they to take away what they understand from it. You see, I think that people can be vaguely primed to assume that if you're a poet they're already going to probably have some level of dissonance between perhaps your message and perhaps, you know, their own lively experiences. Because even by me reading that, one can interpret that as more as, uh, let's just say, not Marxist, but let's just say uh, fascist statement. Well, I'll be discussing, you know, politics. I'll be discussing, you know, perhaps the population control, um, dictatorial efforts from, you know, uh, the oligarchy. Is that what she's chatting about? Or is it just, you know, about love? Is it, you know, quote unquote, the wolf being the bad guy, the sheep being, you know, the good guy um, is essentially meaning that if all the sheep are being properly, you know, uh, drawn to the lunatic, how are they all really bad guys trapped in good men, uh, uh, I guess, you know, cloths. So in some sense, sure. Uh, and that's a good thing. Obviously, you don't necessarily want to buckle down and bracket it, you know, uh, your messages. So and that brings me to an interesting thought about what you mentioned i suppose existentially would you assume that maybe your calling for poetry is to be put forth among the masses or rather would you assume that part of your poetry is for your calling to separate yourself from them um <clears throat> that is an interesting question mm -hmm. i don't think i'm either i don't i i've never felt uh i will answer this by anthony answering another question that I was asked uh, recently. Somebody asked me where home is. And to me, home is a concept that I don't understand. I have always been a third country national. Mm -hmm. So I have always been um, befriended and uh, part of a community wherever I live. However, I am never one of any. Mm -hmm. I am never part of us. I'm always part of I'm always some someone. I'm never part of us. But that does not mean that I'm not included. I am included in, in community programs. I am included mm -hmm. in hanging out and gatherings and so on and so forth. So I am neither an insider nor, nor, nor an outsider. I just am. Um, I am maybe the fly on the wall. I'm, I don't know. That might be the closest um, an analogy that I can draw at the moment. Uh, who who has a, a talent for illustrating what she sees, and 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 then she does, and people read it. Um, thankfully, then it's up to them to understand. But but I think my my calling is more in doing than just being. It is more to show to to give voice to something to everything. Mm -hmm. Give 
voice to injustice, to give voice to. So, so the sheep in those, uh, in in that in that quote, whichever way you see it, whether mm-hmm. it is in the political sense, which, which literally is happening across the world at the moment, or whether it is in a moral sense uh, mm-hmm. that also happens, in any which way, it is injustice. So however a person draws meaning out of it based on their own experiences, based on their own life and their own uh, being, it will always come down to there is some sort of injustice that is happening sure. from that quote. And uh, in that case, it is my job to, to illuminate the fact that there is injustice happening. Mm. That would be quite a promising endeavor. Hopefully, we could all, you know, accompany ourselves with, especially in this day and age. Uh, well, poetry, I don't want to say seems to be, you know, rather a bit of a vestigial form of literature. I mean, you've got those quote-unquote insta-poets that has been slightly popping up. I mean, there's been a documentary on that as well regarding, you know, uh, sort of like music, you know, when it comes to quote-unquote I assume what Gen Y, Gen Z, uh, that discusses, you know, uh, what is poetry really amongst today's particular generation? You know, is it just people writing cute lines online discussing, quote unquote, you know, uh, immorality amongst love or amongst each other? Um, do people really even take pride amongst past poets, past poetry, legitimate, I suppose, uh, acclaimed poets? Now, a good question will be for you that, with that being said, some can say, well, there's really no poetry police. You know, who's to say that there isn't a poet out there that's more refined and more dignified than Langston Hughes or William Shakespeare? Why couldn't someone of the new generation be as revered as those in the past? After all, if it is objective, not purely objective, we're still discussing very relativistic, you know, options on life opposed to a different time zone back then. So is there a certain standard in poetry to revere each other? Or do you think there's really going to be iconic figures that never really got ever going to be uh, superseded amongst common generations of today? I think the question itself would, would fall into a certain category. So mm-hmm. all of these things would be categorical, uh, even if we're talking about other genres of writing. And I will come back to your question, but mm-hmm. even if we're uh, talking about other genres of writing, short stories or m- novels or uh, what do they call them? Flash short stories now, which are shorter short stories. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't matter what or scripts, uh, theater scripts, film scripts, whichever uh, form of writing one takes, it has evolved over time, and we have learned uh, through generations to start enjoying what we, what our uh, generation presents us with, or what is presented to us. Um, our likes and dislikes seem, as a, a global community seem to have evolved with time. Uh, and there are still those who uh, enjoy, uh, uh, let's say, Victorian style poetry mm-hmm. or the uh, poets from the uh, style of poetry from the Romantic era. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is a right or a wrong. It, it depends upon what um, a person enjoys and again depending on your mood that can that can change the way the kind of music we all listen to can change from the morning till evening you know at night after work you might want to listen to something that helps you wind down when as opposed to in the morning you might want to listen to something that is peppy and and picks you up um kind of thing so it 
it really depends upon the category that one wants to uh, follow. Do, do people like metered poetry? Do people like sonnets? Do people like poetry that can be put to music? Do people like poetry that can be um, can be spoken word or uh, rap music or or do they even care? So it is it is quite subjective because individual likes and dislikes are subjective. Now, if there was some sort of a prize giving uh, ceremony or something, that mm -hmm. would have definitely to be categorical. So you would mm -hmm. have to have a, a category for uh, things that are rhyming poetry, things that are spoken word, things that are uh, that are iambic, uh, and it, you would. Have, otherwise, there is no way to compare them. And I don't see the point of making art that way um, because mm -hmm. you can't compare. It, it's never apples to apples. It's yeah. not like a mathematical formula where you have. Yeah. It, it would seem more schematic to assume that in one way you can manipulate not necessarily the meaning of art or poetry itself. But I think people generally want to believe that the primal instincts of poetry was initiated through emotion and i think some would assume that if even spoken way like if someone gets up and reads something heavily dramatic in a very lengthy process um sure i suppose it could you know tap uh, the heart of many but i do think that if someone says oh it's too long it's too dramatic i don't get it i'm assuming that sometimes maybe a poet could confuse not just the length of it but maybe you know not just necessarily the diction but i suppose they may be lost and this is probably just my particular opinion about it, but I think sometimes they could get lost in the genre itself because they could be slightly emulating a certain style that's not, let's just say, as provocative for a different type of poem. Do you think there's some confusion between what to write opposed to how to write it? Because one can be incredibly emotional and just discuss certain aspects of love in a very highly illustrative manner, but then it could become so detail-oriented where it loses its essence in the nature of the beast, which would be perhaps the commitment, um, the notion of relationships. Is there a certain distinction you've got to make or certain levels of semblance between the poet and the poem, or is it really just about whatever you say goes? Because I think you do have to kind of, some sense, add some demarcation between what to write opposed to just writing something that seems to feel good because um, you got musical artists that would say, okay, well, if you put me on some instrumental and I'll rhyme for you, I'm going to be considered as great as, you know, Tupac or something like that. And I suppose if you were born yesterday, I, I get it. However, if you just assume rhyming is all just about what hip hop or that level of genre is about, are you really considered a hip hop artist or are you just considered a pop artist, given it's just all about entertainment? So do you think as far mm -hmm. as like, you know, poets... Or some really just emulating each other through different levels of convoluted aspects of, of you know, I guess overtly wordiness. Or do you think it is up ultimately to the reader to decipher those uh, differentiating uh, properties of poetry? I think it's more up to the writer. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the reader will read and decide whether that person likes it or not mm. beyond that. And if they like it and if they are into poetry or into writing, then mm. they might pursue that uh, differently. But if it's just a general audience member, they, the max they will do it is if they like it, they will quote it or refer it to somebody else. And if they mm. don't like it, then that's the end of that. 
Mm. Uh, hopefully, unless they tend to write a, a bad review somewhere. Um, but it's, I think it's up to the writer. Now, there has to be some sort of intelligence that goes into sure. writing. It's not a uh, matter of stringing random words together exactly. and, yeah. uh, you know, just putting it to some music or even not uh, uh, randomly string words together. Anybody can do that. The point would be what is, well, the risk of repeating myself, what is the point of writing this? What is the point of saying this? What is the point of doing anything? Why? If there is a concrete answer to that why, and the writer can justify mm -hmm. their style, uh, then there is sense to it. And now there might be a poem about death that uh, the writer does not want to rhyme for the reason of showing the grief for the reason of showing the pointlessness or the meaninglessness of what somebody has lost and therefore even in their style they might they might use dissonance as a style mm -hmm. dissonance in everything as a style to convey that emotion to convey the uh, the essence of of what uh, their protagonist is uh, is feeling and this is just one example and on the other hand, there might be a poem about uh, about running through the woods, about running through the woods and uh, just enjoying sunlight, enjoying the breeze. And that might be something that the writer decides to use rhyme and meter too. And it might be something that one can easily put music to. Uh, and, and that might, the, the use of the style in which they write would also lend itself to to feeling the sun rays and to feel to, mm -hmm. the, to the mood to the mood of that poem. So if if the writer can justify what why they have used something or why they have done something, and it makes sense, then uh, and it, it it does come across as an intelligent effort, uh, then I think it's it's appropriate it's uh, appropriately left to the writer to choose their style. Yeah, this is going to sound immensely, slightly confusing in the beginning, but there's a symbiotic relationship I've got with poetry regarding, <laughs> funny enough, Tales from the Crypt and The Twilight Zone. And if you think about both particular programs, uh, I'm not sure if you're a fan of either, um, but as bizarre and as asinine as both could be at times, however, Twilight Zone was a little bit more, I suppose, intelligent when it came to certain uh, heavily controversial topics, but at the end of each show, it would be some heavily moralistically inclined message, however that may be. You know, there was times when Tales from the Crypt would have um, an episode where a woman wanted to be beautiful. So she went to a shop, I forgot what the name was, and she bought this particular kind of potion and she took it. However, she had to sell, I don't know if it was her soul or something, but towards, I think, a year or two later, um, her skin and age started to erode heavily quickly. And I think that over time when she came back to the store, the guy said, well, you had a certain date to come back to get a refund. Uh, but your date, you know, has passed and now you're stuck. So the immediate gratification of what she got was selling a soul. And now she was very young, but getting old very quickly. And Twilight mm -hmm. Zone had similar aspects of, you know, interacting with extraterrestrials or dealing with uh, the ecology of humans and the species of some level sociocultural, you know, uh, hybrids of such, whether it was people battling each other for power or empires uh, rising or whatever. But 
over time, certain aspects of the show became heavily moralistically as well, because if something were to happen toward the end and someone were to include some level of karma, there would be a message with that. So for me, much of my poetry, quote unquote, captions uh, started to become heavily cryptic because even though I would talk about love, I would deliberately write things in a very not odious way, but I almost wanted to make readers upset at the end. Because I think that much of myself was upset at the end of a lot of my experiences. And much of my beginnings with poetry began with a woman that I met a long time ago. Not too long, probably probably about a year ago. And a lot of the images that came from that uh, was very new, very novel. And I wrote two books. And I think after that, I started to understand how powerful quotes in poetry was. So like you mentioned, when it came to... I suppose having the reader interpret whatever you wanted to say, given you know how you structured your uh, your stanzas. But I deliberately wrote things, uh, written things on purpose to make people upset at the end, only because over time I didn't really acquire this woman the way I wanted to acquire her. And no matter how much love I poured into her, um, whatever happened between us, um, to this day she is definitely the inspiration between all of my poetry. But I guess I want people in some sense to feel rather elated in the beginning and then towards the end, it shows you how backstabbing, not, not, okay, backstabbing is not a term, how cunning, not necessarily love can be, but art itself can be. Sort of like if you were to look at an illusion, um, I think you've got that uh, particular kind of uh, Gestalt psychology picture with with the Ruben's vase. When you got two women and you got the vase between them, that's white, but the woman's face is outlined on the mm-hmm. sides. So, in some sense, poetry could be interpreted that way, as you mentioned earlier. And that reminds me of a lot of how I start to write poetry. I start to come off with the vase, and then I end up with two women. Um, but it's interesting, you know. I never really thought to myself as a poet, but reading a great deal of your poetry it reminded myself a bit because when you speak. And I think parts to whole, you add in certain words and then slightly kind of cast is, uh, I suppose it casts a general picture of a family or a daughter, uh, or even a particular message. Uh, I do visualize myself reading uh, your captions, uh, not the caption itself, but um, your poetry. And it makes me very, very reminiscent uh, of a year ago. So. I definitely, you know, I want to compliment you on that, <laughs> which is why, you know, I wanted you on the show. So, um, but as far as like to really get the message out there, um, when it comes to poetry itself, not, okay, let's not even discuss poetry. Um, overall, when it comes to being heavily artistic in your material, was there a particular experience that offered you the rights to become, you know, as great as you are with your poems was a particular relationship or family events or a certain aspect of your life the moment that clicked on to you yeah um i i can't i can't say it's one moment i i think it's i i i sort of uh you know how different people collect different things i'm mm-hmm. a collector of moments uh, which is which is funny because I don't have a very good long term memory, but I have an excellent short term memory. So in the short term, I can say um, I can I can remember details like what color shirt someone was wearing a week ago and where mm-hmm. they were seated in a room full of people and so on and so forth. However, about ten years prior to today, I don't remember anything. 
given mm. that, um, I do collect moments. I will remember random moments from way before that, but just a moment. And I will not remember anything before or after that moment. Uh, and I think it's all these little moments that are, that, that, continue to live they have their own life it's almost like every day they wake up and they live with me and they go to sleep at night they never die they're never forgotten mm. and they just get more friends as as i continue to live every day my moments in my head like little people they continue to gain friends and so i remember uh, running uh, running through the woods with feeling the sun rays on my skin is a real moment in my life it is something that I have experienced and, and being chased by the rain, uh, rain clouds that were rising from the hills behind me. I have written about this. Of course, I have added fiction to that and mm -hmm. made something else out of it. But that was the moment, that a real moment. Um, then stories that people tell me. So I have another book out called Lost in This Direction. And um, there is a poem in it called My Cousin Fell. That's a real moment. Well, it's more than a moment. It's a, it's a huge incident that happened in somebody else's life. They shared the story with me. It then becomes part of my moment. And it was, it is a war story. It is a story that happened during wartime in one country and it's somebody, somebody's life incident. Um, it, of course, that incident changed their life. But when they shared the story with me, that moment changed me as a person in understanding the gravity of pain that people go through and yet humanity survives. Truth and goodness in humanity uh, continues to survive, granted in a much smaller scale than evil does, but mm. it still does. And I think that is tenacity of the human spirit that we still find goodness within somewhere within ourselves, somewhere within somebody else, uh, in spite of all the evil that we experience. Um, I have um, uh, experienced, so there is, the, uh, there is a, uh, a poem in the first book, the one that you mentioned, The Moon mm -hmm. at My Window. Oh, sorry, The, the Moon at My Window. Mm -hmm. So when I was a child, um, my room had this huge window, mm -hmm. and outside this window were two buildings. But in between those two buildings was a piece of the sky, which I would stare at every morning and every night. And when the full moon, when it was full moon, I would see it framed between these two buildings uh, in the sky from my window. And <laughs> that was my favorite, favorite time of the day or of the night. And I would spend hours talking to the moon. Hence, my very first book is titled The Moon at My Window. And then there is a poem, of course, around it. Uh, it's almost like the moon is witnessing everything that happens in this world. I, I added some fiction to it. But Everything, everything is a moment. Everything that I write has a true, has a has a core element of truth to it. Some I continue to write as is, especially if they're stories that other people have told me. I try to maintain the integrity of that story, even if I fictionalize it. Mm -hmm. um, but some things, if it's if it's mine or if it's on a lighter note, then I just I just keep that core moment and build something around it to write. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, swallow that pill rather slowly. Definitely can relate. Definitely can relate. Um, that reminds me of um, a place 
uh, that I go to all the time. I call my home called Lime Ridge, and it's a place that I, I sat down and wrote my book, my first book, uh, Into the Chrysalis, that dealt with my uh, personal life. And I would do the same thing, just sit, relax, and I would be at a high elevation level, viewing the skies. It just uh, and, and much of my inspiration behind a great deal of my poetry is I tried to... Given that I know I've always been quote unquote the pariah of my family, uh, not relating to them at all, and in some sense I've watched a trillion documentaries on what it's like not to be homeless, but to really grab life in some sense from a very autonomous measure, and always try to find the proper way to live in the most conscious and rational way. And I try to imagine the deep, I suppose, the deepest and the greatest depth of what it means to be a human, and put it on paper. So when I do discuss anything from pain or fear, I try to almost expose not just myself, but the vulnerabilities of uh, each other. So I guess I'm one who really is, yeah, quite the provocateur. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how you would categorize that. Um, that's a good question. Do you think there's certain poets that deliberately, I mean, I guess you can consider them like directors, movie directors that would deliberately produce films for those specific reasons. Uh, not to just be a great film director, but to provide not just messages, but their own twist on why they would. Uh, obviously, you know, you've got directors uh, like Tim Burton who makes those very uh, not dark and gothic slash, uh, I forgot the technical term for it, uh, avant-garde, I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. I forgot the term. Avant-garde, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that express uh, some german type of ethereal feel to it on purpose um and then you've got you know obviously other directors um i forgot the one to make all those horror films uh stevie king no that's no 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 you're correct pet cemetery and everything yeah he deliberately makes those type of films uh to invoke uh parts of his childhood and amongst things so yeah this do you think there are reasons that well okay let me rephrase do you are, do you think that there are deliberate reasons why certain poets choose what they write specifically? Like, it's one thing to discuss poetry in a way to make people feel good or to make them think, you know, or ruminate quite heavily. But do you think that, do you think there should be more uniqueness in poetry opposed to everyone chasing after the feel-good moments, I suppose? Because if you read, if you were to Google, or let's let's just say, put in tags like um, love poems or life quotes, you seemingly find um, very uh, related aspects of what it means to find love or life in a very optimistic manner. But it's never truly distinctive or very idiosyncratic of the person reading it. It's just something very general. Do you think this more uniqueness should be in quotes, or do you think that's generally what? much of poetry or relatable topics under literature should be about optimism just i don't yeah. think it's up to me to yeah. to uh, direct uh, what should and should not be but uh, having said that i would say if it's not distinctive if there's nothing new in it if there's nothing different about it then it would definitely not interest me mm. Um, and I have a feeling that uh, most readers uh, would would say the same thing. But then again, these when I say most readers, are, these are most readers that I know. So uh, that does leave out a large portion of the world, which I don't know. Uh, okay. 
I I just think that if it, it, it give you know people would get bored. I'm assuming people would get bored if they're trying to read this. Uh, everybody writing the same thing. Um, also, if, if there was no uniqueness, I being a, a marketer, also a marketing professional, mm-hmm. I would uh, question the logic of being able to market it and to being able to make popularize it uh, if you want your content to be read. So, the, of course, uh, I would question all of these things. Uh, while I cannot uh, make a directive saying that oh, everything should be unique. Uh, should be distinctive. Uh, I just think it would be beneficial if we write in our own styles and if we have something new to say or new to present, no. even if it's the same topic. Uh, I try to uh, I try to have a good balance between uh, the topics. So I do write about love, but I also write about grief. I also write about things that are not. I also write about anger. I also write about depression. I also write about human trafficking. I write mm. about um, uh, domestic violence. I write about uh, war. I write about uh, so many things. And, and like you said, one of the poems in the new book is called uh, Lavender Dreams. It, it, the way it starts out, no one would think it's about war. It's about romance. Mm-hmm. But at the end, it says it was a summer before the war. That was the last time that ever happened. Mm. And um, and these are real stories. Uh, I fictionalize them, but these are, you know, the, the core element is true. And uh, I try to maintain that balance between all the things that are uh, that I have heard of or read or experienced either firsthand or secondhand, and I think are relevant to human beings in general. If I were to write uh, 150 poems all on romantic love alone, I think it would be very difficult for me to present that in mm. in each one in a distinctive style of its own. Yeah, I suppose that's why you've got those like yourself and those like me. <laughs> I wouldn't really consider myself on that particular level. Um, you know, I do, at least for me, see poetry as bit of an ancillary outlet to much of my already produced documentaries and obviously podcast sessions um but it does help me to well i mean well it, it i mean for me much of my poetry not really infers some love but it does seem to be the fuel for much of what you mentioned the grief the depression and the ever despondent slash uh heavily unsettling aspects of life um but you know I guess that's why you've got Michael Bay films and all about action. <laughs> and then you've got, mm-hmm. you know, Quentin Tarantino films that, you know, are heavily imbued with complexities beyond all depths of imagination. Um, but, you know, um, all in all, you know, poetry is definitely here to, in a lot of ways, if we would even discuss, you know, like our primal ages from the first Homo sapiens sapiens, um, discussing while the sky is blue comets shooting stars uh i suppose uh different augmentations of the land masses you know in some sense someone had to explain something so perhaps maybe mm-hmm. poetry did have some prior beginnings before it became more artistic and heavily uh, rhythmic with its uh disposition um do you think that in the end is poetry ever really going to lose its essence amongst one another or do you think we're always just going to augment its format I highly yeah. doubt that any genre of writing is ever going to, or, or storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, is ever going to lose its 
its uh, continuity. And uh, one of the reasons poetry might have been one of the earlier forms of storytelling was in the absence of writing. Remember to memorize something that rhymes or something that has a tune to it, as opposed to trying to remember a story. So if we listen to folklore from all around the world, it's usually it has a, a, some sort of a tune or some sort of a, uh, something that makes it easy to remember because it, it was a, a tradition of, uh, it, it, storytelling was an oral tradition and people would say the stories and then their children would done it and their, their children would done it and this, this is how stories uh, passed on from one generation to another until uh, the written archives were were made. Um, of course, there was a there, there was also the the dance form or the movement form. So there is a bodily repertoire of it as well. Um, and ha so considering that it has sustained its presence even with uh, the written form, with uh, in all the forms that it has evolved, I highly doubt that any form of storytelling will will change, even in the IT world, in the corporate world. If you see. Uh, a content writer is their main job in terms of marketing is to tell the story of the brand, to tell the story of the person, to tell the story of the company or the product. It's storytelling. At the end of the day, everything is storytelling. Yeah, even like web coding, you know, whether you're building a, a website or things like that, even discussing uh, the parameters of such uh, designing, you know, in some sense, yeah. Uh, the general, I uh, suppose, of arcing narrative would be that it is storytelling, you know, and it does seem to kind of construct the overall picture of whatever that may be or however it manifests uh, for us to find, you know, beauty in. So it's been interesting, very, very, I suppose, uh, refreshing discussion. Obviously, the discord between poetry and modern generations, you know, have to be met uh, quite firmly. Um, as far as Insta poets and things like that, it is what it is, you know, it's 2022 and we've got to find more pleasure and just embracing ourselves. And I think that essentially that's what poetry is really all about, embracing the deepest and darkest aspects of not just what it's like to be a human, but perhaps, you know, uh, engaging and becoming more interoceptive and introspective on believing this much more than just words on a paper, but in some sense, maybe taking your, you know, artwork and changing lives with it. Perhaps somebody I'm sure has read it and said, okay, I'm going to make a decision today. And this poem definitely reminded me of the decision I've got to do. Whether it's, like you mentioned, in a magical com uh, composition, whether it was a line, I guess the larger picture is for us to all to come together. <laughs> yes. I think it's so yes. that bigger you know picture becomes unlocked between you know the difficulties of each other's biases whether it's race religion politics nationalities um this is one of those levels we've got to kind of unlock much more deeper than what it is so but hmm. time is definitely running a little short for me but i definitely embrace and appreciate your presence it's refreshing um perhaps you can provide your ig or other information you would like to so people can get a grip on it I want to listen to this particular session. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so uh, my Instagram handle is um, Asha Panichin. I'll spell that out. It's my name, A-S-H-A-P-O-N-N-A-C-H-A-N. -N -N -A -A um, 
all information about me, my poetry, uh, other forms of writing and my books are there. And uh, thank you, Andre, for having me on, on this podcast, on this episode. Indeed. It's always great to have not just a new topic, uh, but the novelty is always going to be, you know, uh, embedded in our interest to learn much more and be more instinctive on being human. So with that being said, thank you again. And I'll chat to you soon, Asha. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank